I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k flats. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. This is in the forecast into Friday. Quiet, please, ladies and gentlemen. You ready for the big show? In exactly 15 seconds, we'll be on the air. Live. This is the Lars Larson Show. Our beloved republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. Honestly provocative talk with Lars Larson. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. Broadcasting across the Pacific Northwest and covering Oregon, Washington, and Idaho on the Radio Northwest Network. Live. And now. Then we're going to kick the Biden crime family out of the White House. Here's your host. Almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette, and my cat. Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show, and happy Wednesday. I warned you they were going to do this. Well, a couple of things that I warned you about. Number one, the dog and pony show from the governor of Oregon, Tina Kotek, and feckless Ted Wheeler, the mayor of Portland. And I want to get into this because they said, we're going to have a big announcement. We're declaring a fentanyl emergency, at least for the next 90 days. And I warned you that it was going to be all smoke and mirrors and no real substance. Well, now we know what they've said, and it's been confirmed. It's smoke and mirrors. It's kabuki theater, folks. And I want to get into that and dig into it because it's very, very important. You know that both Oregon and Washington have a massive fentanyl problem. Oregon eclipsed a 1,000 drug overdose deaths from fentanyl last year. They're expecting that to go up by 25 to 30 percent this year. And the folks in charge are doing exactly nothing that is going to change that situation one little bit. But let me dive into that in a moment. The second thing that I've warned you about, Democrats and liberals in the state of Oregon have been wanting to steal the tax kicker for a long, long time. And they've now actually made a formal proposal, including one member of the state legislature, a Democrat, uh, Lou Frederick. We used to call him Angry Lou back before Angry Lou got so angry he wouldn't come on this program anymore because we ask him tough questions like, why do you want to steal billions of dollars from the taxpayers? Uh, I'd love to ask him that question, but I keep reaching out to Angry Lou. He's still too angry. He doesn't like those questions. But there is now a formal proposal to take the tax kicker, not the current one, but future tax kickers. And let me tell you why this is so important. When Oregon first invented the tax kicker, it's one of the best structures anywhere in state-level government in America. And what it says is... Every two years, the state of Oregon writes a budget, same as in the state of Washington. And then the government has to do two things. One, they estimate how much money do you expect to make over the next two years. Now, they, only, all, they all whine about how hard that is to do. And yet every single American family that buys a house or buys a car or any major purchase has to estimate how much money are we expecting to make 
and how if we buy this thing can we actually afford it so the government estimates how much money it's going to make and then it budgets how it's going to spend that money and the question occurred to people years ago what happens when the estimate of how much the government is going to take in comes in low in other words they expected to collect twenty billion dollars and they collect thirty billion dollars instead what happens to the extra money well before the tax kicker the government would just say well you overpaid us and now we'll just spend it we'll keep it instead of giving it back and the citizens thought that was wrong so they first passed a law and then they put it in the constitution and they said if you over collect by more than just a little bit you have to give all of it back do you know how much the current tax kicker is estimated at five billion dollars that the government has to give back to the citizens now before the tax kicker existed uh, tina kotek and company would have just said hey thanks for the extra five billion you overpaid we collected more taxes and we will find a way to spend all that money instead of giving it back to you again that's why the citizens thought it was so important to put it in the constitution where democrats couldn't monkey with it which is exactly what they're proposing to do right now and that is very difficult to go back and change the Constitution. So I'm going to ask you in our poll on X, what used to be Twitter, but is now X, our X poll, should Oregon Democrats steal the tax kicker from citizens and let the government spend it? My answer to that would be an unequivocal no. You can answer any way you like. You'll find the question at Lars Larson Show on X. You'll also find it on my website at LarsLarson.com. And brought to you by Ultimate Trucking Services. If you rely on trucks for business, Ultimate keeps your biggest assets on the road and running right. Find them at UltimateTruckService.com. Now, about this dog and pony show yesterday. So you've got the top officials from the state of Oregon, Tina Kotek, city of Portland, Feckless Ted, and then of course Jessica Vega-Peterson, the chair of Multnomah County. And I have to tell you something, this is exactly what I expected them to do. Democrats follow these very, very predictable patterns. I mean, in some ways, it's like going hunting, where you say, well, if it's cooler, the deer and elk are going to be down here. If it's, if it's warmer, they're going to be up there. Uh, if there's snow, they're going to do this. If there's wind blowing, they're going to do that. It, they follow these patterns. And you can identify them if you stand back and just watch these animals at work. So here's what they do. They create a disaster. Then, having created their own disaster, they declare an emergency. And step three, they use it to justify more taxes and spending. They never actually solved the problem you created because if they solved it, they wouldn't have a justification for taxes and spending. Lather, rinse, and repeat. The George Soros created Drug Policy Alliance from 3,000 miles away, literally spent $5 million to pass Oregon's Measure 110. It was an experiment in legalizing hard drugs statewide. And they picked Oregon as the patsy state to do it in. They said, we can get away with it in Oregon. They're not very bright out there. Now, if you haven't realized it already, we are the lab rats in that experiment. Thousands of people literally have already died. And more than a thousand will die this year on some, unless something dramatic changes. Any reasonable person would say, it's time to stop and go back to what works and simply revoke Measure 110. They're not going to do that. Instead, yesterday, Tent City Tina Kotek and Feckless Ted Wheeler went for some gaslighting of the public. They declared an emergency. They promised, and get this, their promise literally is, 
I will do the same things that have failed for the last couple of years, only we promise, cross our hearts and hope to die, we'll do them a whole lot better. They all refuse to ditch Measure 110. Now, why? Because that would threaten the political donations they get from the very same groups that set Oregon on this course. They owe them big time. And you know what happens if you owe somebody in politics because they shovel lots of money into your campaign? You can't turn your back on that. They claim that Oregon needs more resources. Now, I see this claim all the time. Let me put that one to bed for good. Even though Measure 110 provided $260 million in initial funding for drug treatment, they've got the stones to come out and say, why, we don't have enough resources, which is a fancy politician word for money. We don't have enough money to provide treatment for all the people who are signing up for treatment. The only problem is, under Measure 110, instead of being arrested and facing the possibility, probability, of a felony conviction, drug addicts got a ticket. And they were told by the cop, if you call this phone number, the ticket for $100 that they're not going to pay anyway gets forgiven. You know what? Out of more than 6,000 tickets they wrote in the first year, less than 500 people even called the phone number to get the $100 ticket forgiven. That tells you how the addicts view that law. They don't pay any attention to it. And less than 50 people in that year signed up for treatment. It's not a shortage of resources. Treatment, by the way, well, very, very low. If a quarter of a billion dollars ain't enough to get it done, can you imagine the price tag they're going to demand now? It's a Wednesday. It's my pleasure to be with you. It's the Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. Constantine Kissin on Hamas. For years now, many of us have been warning that the barbarians are at the gates. We were wrong. They're inside. There are positives as well. I mean, say what you want about Hamas supporters. At least they know what a woman is. This is the Lars Larson Show. That makes a lot of sense, a lot of nonsense. Right, your body well right, you know he got a right to say. This is the Northwest Nonsense. How much longer do we have to sit for this nonsense? That 
great moment every day where Lars brings you the cold, hard facts without any liberal wokeness from the daily dead fish wrapper or mainstream media bias. Please consider the crazy double standard that's in operation here in the Pacific Northwest. Seattle just decreed that henceforth batteries and electronic devices shall not be disposed of in ordinary household, household trash. Now, I actually appreciate the reasoning here, but I hate the double standard. I'll get to that in just a minute. Today's lithium batteries often catch fire and burn or explode when not disposed of correctly. I've, I, I've even heard from garbage truck drivers who've written to me about fires that happen when your old laptop or cell phone gets crunched up with the daily garbage and their trucks are set on fire. A lot of toxic and hazardous stuff in those batteries eventually percolates down through the landfill and into the groundwater. You don't have to be a tree-worshipping bunny hugger to admit that's terrible. What bugs me, though, is that the folks who run cities like Seattle, Portland, and others see absolutely no problem whatsoever in letting tent-dwelling drug addicts treat our streets like toilets. In fact, Multnomah County even gave away 100,000 tents and tarps in a single year to Portland's roughly 5,000 concrete campers to encourage people to live on the streets. Cities gave away free needles that can be filled with drugs, injected into likely infected arms, and then discarded for your kids to step on when they go to the park. They poop on the streets, they shoot heroin in their veins, and they fill transit buses with enough fentanyl smoke that health authorities say it's hazardous to the drivers. They dump their garbage and sometimes they create deadly fires. Now, if you ask me to weigh the relative merits of pollution from discarded batteries against the upfront, disgusting, wipe the bottoms of your shoes before you walk into your house, pollution from a government-created problem, which one would you guess I put at the top of my list? And then our question of the day. Hey, Lars, why did those two cops who got attacked in New York by illegal aliens not pull their handguns and start capping? Signed, Ted Johnson. I got to tell you something. If you haven't seen the video of what happened in Times Square in New York over this last weekend, here are two uniformed cops, and they confront four so-called asylum seekers. Now, I'll tell you parenthetically, People seeking asylum in the United States need to meet, meet the legal requirements to claim asylum. About 95 to 98 percent of those who claim asylum are denied it because they don't meet the legal qualifications. So instead, they're just illegal aliens. So they show up in New York City. They get a hotel room courtesy of the taxpayers. They get food. They get walking around money. They get all of that. And then they go out and attack a couple of cops. And in this case, they quickly caught the four bad guys who, if you look at the video, beat these cops right down to the pavement. And uh, I'll get to the man's question here in just a moment. And what happened? They catch them. They arrest them. They charge them with assaulting a police officer. And then they're all released without paying a dime of bail. And by the way, one of those four was already wanted on two other criminal charges for theft and assault. So imagine that. You come to somebody else's country, you enter illegally, you're given hotel rooms and food and walking around money, and you go out and commit crimes and assault cops. Does that give you an idea of the character of at least some of the people we're allowing into this country? And Ted, as to the question why the cops didn't pull their guns, everybody who shoots guns, whether you're hunting or shooting at a range, has to be aware of whatever the backdrop is. Can you imagine what would have happened to a bullet, any bullet that got fired by a cop in crowded Times Square? It might hit the bad guy who's beating you up. It might also kill an innocent bystander. The cops know that, and I think they acted responsibly. And now today's Daily Grill.
insane. Are you completely insane? Ridiculous. They get more and more ridiculous. Flat out dumb. You're even dumber than I thought. Who deserves today's Lars Grill of the Day? Maybe you're just really, really stupid. Find out right now. I'm going to give today's Daily Grill, and he hasn't had it in probably a decade or so, to Senator Angry Lou Frederick, Democrat of Portland, and State Senator Casey Jama, Democrat of Portland, for submitting Senate Joint Resolution 26 to the Oregon legislature, which would permanently abolish the Oregon tax kicker refund, which is a voter-approved law requiring all over-collection of tax revenue to be returned to the taxpayers who overpaid uh, the Oregon Taxpayers Association uh, says that uh, it's a great law, and I agree with them. And Senator Lou Frederick and State Senator Casey Jama are insane to try to abolish any kind of refund when taxes are over-collected. It makes no sense. And if I get a naysayer on the tax kicker, I'd be glad to put them on for as long as they need to explain why, when you overpay taxes, there shouldn't be a refund coming to the people who paid those taxes. Today's best email, but you can always send more to talk at LarsLarson.com, comes from Andrew. Lars, Dems are laughably out of touch. Claiming Trump will electrify the border fence and dig a moat for alligators is LMAO funny. Yes, I get that. And it seems the Dems believe it. Well, I guess that's how Pennsylvania got Fetterman, how New York got AOC, and how we got stuck with Biden. Maybe they really are that far gone. What better way to celebrate this idiocracy that we've become than to give those clowns a microphone? I read Joe Biden plans to visit the train derailment site in Ohio. Kind of ironic given that the Biden presidency has become a magnificent train wreck. I can't wait to see what Democrat embarrassments await us next. Let's go, Brandon, signed Andrew. To your calls now, it's Wednesday on the Radio Northwest Network, which has for 24 years served the Pacific Northwest states of Oregon, Washington, and Idaho. It's great to welcome Jeff, who's listening on that network, and KBND. Hey, Jeff, what's on your mind today? Hey, Lars, uh, thanks for taking my call. I was curious, uh, you know, the the Sackler family or whatever, like the state of Oregon received $429 million in settlement funds from the makers of OxyContin because they pushed this horrible, deadly drug and, and promoted it, even though it was FDA approved, which was a, a huge failure. But it makes me wonder, A, where is the money that they got from, from they blew it. OxyContin settlement? Because they didn't they use it for opioid addiction treatment. Nope. And the other is, you know, if if, uh, if if a private business can be held responsible for, for putting a drug out there that's addictive, even though it was approved by the FDA, then it seems like all the lawmakers and all the people who wrote this law uh, and, and have kind of put forth an effort to pass it, they should be criminally, criminally liable uh, for pushing. If, if, if pushing OxyContin, a pharmaceutical drug, is illegal and costs billions of dollars, then pushing heroin, fentanyl, meth, cocaine, LSD, all these other drugs, they, they should be criminals for doing There's it. only like, one detail problem with your argument, Jeff. Do you know how Measure 110 got, got put into law? Yeah, I know it got voted in by the by the voters, by right? the people. But but it, but it shouldn't have even been put on the ballot. Well, hold and, on, hold uh, no, Jeff, Jeff. The Constitution of Oregon, I think correctly, says that when the people want a law passed, whether it's legalizing pot or legalizing suicide or legalizing gay marriage, it should be put on the ballot. And the Constitution guarantees the citizens the right to propose new laws or to revoke old laws by putting things on an initiative. So how do we blame lawmakers 
when it was 58% of the voters who actually made Measure 110 happen. Now, I can blame them for not fixing the problem, but I don't think I can exactly blame them for that. And as for OxyContin and straight pharmaceuticals, that's about one-tenth of one percent of the entire drug problem. Most of it is illegal drugs on the street, courtesy of Joe Biden's friends in the Mexican drug cartels. The Lars Larson Show. knew better do you all of it began the first time some of you who know better and are old enough to know better let young people think that they had the right to choose the laws they would obey as long as they were doing it in the name of social protest this is the Lars larson show welcome back to the program it's a wednesday it's the radio northwest network and it's my pleasure to welcome back our friend aaron mesh managing editor at willamette week and uh, I, I know there are big stories going on, like the uh, dog and pony show yesterday with the governor of Oregon announcing a fentanyl emergency and all that. But I think this one is, is pretty significant as well. And I have to tell you, every single time that Tina and I drive through the city of Portland, which is usually at least a couple of times a week, uh, we will see all this graffiti, this vandalism that's been put up everywhere. I mean, it's starting to look like some of the worst American cities look, where there's just ubiquitous graffiti. And a lot of money is spent to try to take it down and correct that. And yet the local leaders, as Willamette Week points out, don't seem to be capable of actually accomplishing that task. Aaron, welcome back. And why is it? What did uh, your story conclude about why they can't seem to stop this stuff? Well, there are there are a few reasons, and uh, some of them are logistical, but many of them, I think, boil down to the same leadership vacuum that we constantly see in the city and in the state. Uh, we have logistically uh, a thicket of governments, and anyone essentially who owns a piece of property is responsible for cleaning the graffiti off that property. And so there's often this uh, this confusion about who exactly is in charge of cleaning graffiti off of various surfaces. There's also no doubt that taggers, uh, many of whom are not Portlanders for what it's worth, uh, who travel up and down the West Coast making their mark like essentially professional vandals, uh, little YouTube vandals, I call them. They that they have gotten highly proficient in the last three years, and that the sense that Portland is is vulnerable and unable to respond to them has made them uh, emboldened. Well, one of the questions, I mean, the first question about who owns it. An awful lot of the graffiti I see is on public structures. It's on bridges, oh, yeah. it's on overpasses, yeah, it's on freeway walls, and that's all owned by either the city of Portland, Multnomah County, or the state of Oregon, right? So we know who owns it, um, and they some, don't sometimes. clean themselves up, do they? Sometimes. So sometimes it's also on Union Pacific property, or it's on, um, it, 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 at any rate, like there's, uh, there's other examples I could use here. But agreed that 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 i'm not giving them any excuses that the simplest thing to do would be to like get everyone in a room together say uh what you need to do is uh is hire this one contractor to clean up as much of this as possible spend the money go out and take care of it uh i, I will confess that i find myself baffled by some of the jurisdictional uh paralysis in this state and i would not have a problem and i don't think any other portland would have a problem with say uh somebody from the the state of oregon deciding that they just want to clean the graffiti they're hiring somebody and if some union contractor who the city says is their preferred contractor doesn't get the job well then to hell with them yeah 
I'd go for that. Take the uh, the what called the Greg Abbott approach. <laughs> Just say, you know, what we, we don't care. We're we're going to do this. I think it's the right thing to do. And Aaron, it kills me that you know the city of Portland, state of, and the same problem is present in Seattle. We see just as much graffiti in Seattle. But when they spend, I don't know what the total spending is on landscaping by the sides of roads and freeways and city streets. But they spend an amazing amount of money on on landscaping transit centers and landscaping freeways. And then with all that done, homeless people come in, uh, they, they cut down trees, they, they leave garbage, they do all this, and then you've got this tagging on top of all that. Uh, and, and I don't even want to call it tagging. Tagging makes it sound somewhat legitimate. It's open vandalism of public property. Is it even possible to catch the peop- some of the people who are doing this, say the worst offenders, and then, then have the consequences be secure, se- serious enough that they'll stop doing it? So the city's police bureau used to have, the Poland police bureau used to have a sting operation they would conduct where they would paint a wall, a very large wall with a neutral color, set up cameras, and then just wait for someone to show up. Uh, a little bit like duck hunting. Uh, you know, put out, put out some bird seed and, uh, and see which animals arrive, uh, and then uh, not shoot them shoot, in this shoot case, them. but right. yeah, well, I'm sure, I'm sure there are plenty of people in Portland who would prefer that outcome, but no, they would, they would be arrested and then charged with, um, there are actually felonies for this, depending on the size of the, there is a felony the, for it. Wow. Yeah, there okay. is. Yeah. So, um, I believe that there's a felony criminal mischief that can be, that can be applied here. Uh, you'll have to read the story. Anthony so in other words, these, these, uh, these migrant, uh, graffiti vandals who come up and down the West Coast, you can actually tag one of them, uh, and, and throw them in jail. Oh, you could definitely make an example of some of these guys. And you could choose people who are more proficient, right? Like, there are people, and we have described a few of them in the story, who are, like, the obvious, like, thing you don't want to do at the risk of sounding like the stereotypical liberal bleeding heart on your show, you probably don't want to take some Lincoln High School kid and, like, put him in jail for five years because they tagged a building. But you might consider, you might consider the people who are also uh, moving from city to city, uh, who are using ladders and fire extinguishers and various, uh, and various large uh, operational, like, as if they were in some kind of like Christopher Nolan heist movie, uh, you might consider whether or not they deserve jail time. You oh, might consider I... the people who are who are both who are both tagging buildings and gun running to be worthy of uh, of, of significant criminal penalties. Uh, there's a, there's a lot of ways to to make examples of people here. Do you, do you think the fact that it is so ubiquitous is an indication that most of the people doing it know there will be no consequence at all for them? That the, the chances of getting caught, the chances of seeing any kind of punishment whatsoever are almost nil. And that's why we've seen such an explosion of it lately. I think that you could take go further than that and say that the, that a lot of the social blight that we see in this city is essentially because um, and because the people committing the crimes know that there will not be a police officer who will arrive and if a police officer does arrest them, the chances that they'll be charged are insignificant. See, I would just find that you know, I would find I, I wish we had a clever, a creative judge who would actually say, listen, I'm going to come up with a creative punishment that was that's within the law 
that is, and, and you have to fit it to the person. Like the guy, I think it was in Lane County not long ago, he admitted he robbed a bank because he was trying to get away from his wife. And, and he couldn't stand her, but he, he couldn't leave home or, you know, he couldn't get away from her any other way. So he robbed a bank. And the judge said, fine, I'm sentencing you to six months of home arrest. I mean, that kind of creativity is what I think would do the trick. Well, and I think in this case, like you can think about being about ways to be creative about about penalties here that aren't necessarily just about satisfying the public desire for a scapegoat, but are about fixing the problem. Yeah. So. Why does it have to be jail time? Why can't it be like a year of having to clean buildings? I love it. I love the idea. Except we have a DA who doesn't seem willing to, to, to even take real criminals who've committed violent crimes and do anything with them. We have a society, I was just telling my audience, two cops get beat to the pavement in New York City, and the four guys who did it on camera uh, get booked and released with no bail. So that gives you an indication of, of where criminal justice stands in America. I think it's a very good indication. Well, I don't know that it's Mike Schmidt's fault that those cops got beat up in, no, uh, in New York. Not in New York, but he does the same thing here. He, he either says decline to prosecute, and in fact, uh, he was out blaming, in yesterday's dog and pony show reaction, he was blaming people who buy guns legally for the increase in violent crime in America which is just so abundantly stupid. I, 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 I thought it was even too dumb to come out of Mike Schmidt Show's face, but there you go. That's Aaron Mesh. You can find the story at wweek.com. All that money to correct all that graffiti vandalism, and nothing much happens. Back in just a moment. Glad to get your calls. 866-HEY-LARS. Send emails to talk at LarsLarson.com and vote in our X poll. You can find the question, should we let Democrats steal the tax kicker? With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all the capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. Elon Musk sums up America's government. And what I see all over the place is people who care about looking good while doing evil. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you on a Wednesday. If you want to join uh, the best conversation in talk journalism, it's right here at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And I want to let you know about something else that's happening. And a young lady by the name of Co 
Coco. She goes by Coco on X, or which used to be Twitter. Um, you've got an event coming up. What is it, Coco? Hi, Lars. Thank you so much for having me. Um, okay, so tonight at 6.30 p.m., we'll be hosting our first ever Q&A space with Representative Ed Deal on X. You already mentioned that that used to be Twitter. Um, okay, so during the space, we're going to have Rep Deal answering questions live and explaining important Oregon issues such as Measure 110 and the Republican Solution, School Choice, the Kicker, and Natural Resource Management. So grab a drink, a snack, and be ready to donate five twenty-five or any amount you can to helping Rep Deal advance the conservative agenda and common sense policies here in Oregon. I mean, you post um, some really smart commentary, but I want to ask you this. Do you have any confidence yes. at all that the Oregon legislature is going to act on any of this in anything that, that makes a difference? Because... We just watched the governor and the mayor and the you know chair of Multnomah County come out and announce, well, we're going to have an emergency. They're not actually going to change anything about what has gone so terribly wrong and has literally taken thousands of lives in the last four years and will take another thousand lives or, or more this year. Do you have any confidence that the legislature is going to fix any of this? Um, no. Um, I Well... <laughs> The confidence that I have, however, is in uh, people like you and the constituency getting involved, getting in these spaces, making their voice known. Because the only way that we're going to be able to sort of get around the media blackout that we are seeing in this state, where the media doesn't really um, give any airtime to Republican solutions, the only way we're going to do that is if we get loud and we donate to our our favorite legislators like Rep Deal. He's my favorite. Um, well, and so I, look, I'm I, all for that. I'm all for making. I, I'd love to get back to a Republican majority in Washington, a Republican majority in Oregon. But I mean, Washington State has the same problem. You have a legislature where the most insane things are allowed. Like, we're not going to fix these problems, even when the public says we're going to put six initiatives to the legislature together, and the Democrats just say, and we're going to ignore them, and and they won't act on them. I, I'm almost convinced it'd be better if you could get Rep Deal to drag along with him at least one Democrat colleague so they could be asked some questions. And one of the things that floors me, Coco, is that I used to work as a regular street reporter, so I'd cover whatever were the stories of the day for both TV and radio. And the media used to go and camp out on people's doorsteps, if necessary, to get people like the governor to answer questions. And that's no longer the case. They, and, and if you were to press Tina Kotek, so you announced an emergency, what are you going to do that actually changes anything? And all they did yesterday was say, well, we're all going to coordinate between the city, the county, and the state better than we have been coordinating. And they're effectively admitting that whatever it is they're supposed to be doing, they're not doing it in concert with their fellow governments, which they could do, uh, I, I think, if Tina Kotek would call up, you know, Jessica Vega-Peterson and Feckless Ted and say, let's get on the same page on this one instead of having to announce to the public that you've got an emergency and now we're all going to be working together. And she could come out, and I wish some of the reporters had said to her, are you going to call for revocation of Measure 110? And if you're not, why not? 
And, and isn't that sure. what's really causing this problem? But nobody will ask them those tough questions, and Kotech won't talk to me. Of course not. They don't want. They don't want to have to give any sort of, um, you know, argument for their record or their positions. If I could get a Democrat legislator into the space, I would, and that is something that I will absolutely look into, and I'll ask Rep. Deal about, and see if we can set something like that up. But this is the first ever space, so we're sort of just getting our feet wet here. I think it's going to be really fun, and I really want everybody to consider jumping in, um, coming up with their own questions, and just see how it goes. And, um, yeah, hopefully in the future we can get a Democrat legislator in there. I just think that Republicans would do us a lot of good, and I make the same request of Washington lawmakers. Next time you come back, bring one of your Democrat colleagues who's, who, who says they have the courage of their convictions, and they're willing to actually be confronted with some tough questions. Because if these people truly believe in what they stand for, I believe in the things I talk about on the air, and if somebody, I mean, when I've been asked, by the Oregonian, by Fox News, by CNN, by MSNBC, by anybody. They say, will you talk about this? I've always said yes. Even though I know the questions are going to be contrary to my point of view, I'll talk to them and I'll say, this is why I'm for it. And this is the logic and the the data behind it. And if people believe otherwise, explain to me why we went from 220 drug overdose deaths in 2019 to more than a thousand last year and a projected 1300 this year and if you don't believe it's measure 110 then what actually drove it and if you can't answer that question then what you're telling me is you're advocating for something you don't actually believe in you're just saying it because it means campaign donations from the george soros organization the drug policy alliance and everybody else who's into drugs and destroying the fabric of northwest society coco thanks for the call you got the lars larson show I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. Ladies and gentlemen, you ready for the big soap? In exactly 15 seconds, we'll be on the air. Lars. This is the Lars Larson Show. Our beloved republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. Honestly provocative talk with Lars Larson. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. Broadcasting across the Pacific Northwest and covering Oregon, Washington, and Idaho on the Radio Northwest Network. Lars. And now. Then we're going to kick the 
Biden crime family out of the White House. Here's your host. Almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette, and my cat, Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you on a Wednesday. Always glad to get your calls. And thanks for joining me on the Radio Northwest Network. Now 24 years of service to the Pacific Northwest through our 26 great radio stations around Oregon, Washington, and Idaho. If you want to measure of how things are going in the economy, you might take a look at housing. Now, housing prices are up around the country. And even though inflation is up by insane numbers, when you see the National House Price Index go up by 5.1%, that's year over year from November of 22 to November of 23, I mean, most numbers lag by a month or more uh, when you look at where the numbers are today. So it's very difficult to tell you what's going on today. But as of November of 22 to November of last year, the National House Price Index was up just over 5%, which sounds like very healthy growth. Except there is one caveat to that, one place in all of the United States of America where that number did not go up. And I thought we'd talk about it with our friend Nick Shivers, one of the many great supporters of this program with his real estate business, the Nick Shivers team. Hey, Nick, welcome back. Always a pleasure to be here, Lars. Now, you know that my audience right out there now is guessing, well, the one place it didn't go up must have been Portlandia. Am I right? Well, there there was actually, you know, our West Coast friends up in San Francisco, Seattle, and Portland were the three that actually lost value in 2023. 8.8% depreciation in San Fran, 7.2 in Seattle, and our lovely Portland down 4.5%, according to Case Schiller. So over the rest of the country, up 5% and then some. And on the West Coast, the left coast of America, almost 9% decline in the city by the bay. And Seattle down more than 7% and Portland down 4.5%. Is there any one thing that explains that? Well, I think you could just drive through downtown L.A., Seattle and Portland and kind of see it on the streets. It's it's crime, it's homelessness, and remember we have that one percent tax in Multnomah County for homelessness, and that that doesn't seem like they're implementing that very well, Lars. And when you combine that with the taxes and how unaffordable it is to run a business in the city of Portland, that is why, it, according to U-Haul. Out of 50 states, we're number 37 uh, as far as growth. So we are continually losing high-income earners because money goes where it's treated best, Lars, and it's not being treated very fairly here in uh, our good old Multnomah County. No, it's not, but it sounds like it's the whole West Coast. And if, if uh, Seattle is down 7-2 and Portland's down 4-5, at a time when both of the states are saying we're short by tens or hundreds of thousands of housing units, what's the prospect for adding to a housing stock in a place where anybody who builds there is looking at the only places in America where the value of housing is going down? Yeah, well, and that's why they are, they are not building there. If you look at Austin, Austin, Texas, even though the, the metro is a little uh, on the liberal side for me, you Austin, think? Texas... <laughs> has more uh, new construction starts than all of L.A. County because you have to, in order to make affordable housing, 
you the 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 bureaucracy has to go away. And we've talked about this many a times, how much extra it costs in LA County. 28% of all costs associated with building is bureaucracy. It just doesn't work, Lars. You can see it. It does not work. Well, and in fact, I'll give you an example. I, I'm, I didn't think it was worth a whole segment. There's a guy in Bend, Oregon. Who wanted it? He was headed toward retirement, so he wanted to build an auxiliary dwelling unit, a mother-in-law house, and you're limited to about 800 square feet if you do that. And then when the city said we've got requirements before you can build it, they're going to cost you sixty thousand dollars on an 800 square foot place for one person at you know usually one maybe two people to live. Uh, he just said forget about it. sixty grand in fees and permits and requirements. Uh, and he just said, I can't do it. It doesn't make any sense. And this is the same government that's begging for more housing and then saying, but if you build it, we're going to tax the daylights out of you. Well, yeah, because in government, um, you're spending uh, taxpayers' money. In business, you're spending your own money, and you can't go negative forever. Um, and it just, again, that's why if you look at new housing starts in the Portland metro area, Multnomah County specifically, um, in, in the, in the apartment space, it's, it's almost none. And more supply, it equals better housing prices. But, oh, Lars also make it so, uh, uh, adverse to landlords that nobody wants to be a landlord in Multnomah County because if you get a bad tenant, you can never get them out. Which punishes not just the landlord, and I know people always think of it that way, it punishes every other tenant in a multifamily apartment uh, situation. You get one bad tenant, he's bad for the landlord, he may be bad for the other 20 families who live in that place. Exactly. And it's supply and demand, Lars. I mean, the only way we get affordability is we get new inventory. And in order to get new inventory, builders have to be able to build affordable products and make a profit. Unbelievable. Nick, thanks a lot for the insights. I appreciate it. Always a pleasure, Lars. Have a good one. Thank you, sir. That's Nick Shivers, one of the many great supporters of this program in his real estate business. And by the way, the numbers again. Nationally, house prices up 5.1% November to November. In Seattle, down 7.2. In Portland, down 4.5. In San Francisco, down almost 9% in the value of housing. To your calls now. Let's go to Leonard. Hey, Leonard, welcome to the Radio Northwest Network. What's on your mind? Hey, I hope it's uh, going good for you today, Lars. But it I is. If you're a on a speakerphone, please uh, come off of it so we can hear what you're saying. Please. Okay. Let me try to get Okay, let's see if I can hear you, though. This speaker, this phone isn't very good. But anyway, question is, is the Democrats are always uh, talking about a ten, the reason that we have so much illegal immigration is it takes 10 years to get here. My no, it question doesn't. is, how long does it really take? Not not long well, at all. Legally, I mean, there are people coming from the other side of the planet who all you have to do, you, you take a that list step instead of opening up our borders. Okay, shorten what list up? To, to get into the United States, we allow more than a million people to legally immigrate. The process is five to seven years long. Leonard, are you suggesting that we need more than a million a year of legal immigrants? No, I'm not, I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is, is why does it take five years to do it that way? 
compared to 72 hours coming through the border because illegally. because you tell people we have a waiting list we have a number of people will allow in from each country mexico gets a more generous allocation uh but if you want to go in somewhere and they say we're letting in a million people a year and you say well that makes the line five years long the way to shorten that is to take let in two million a year or three million a year and joe biden has decided to do that on steroids only he's ignoring the law and we're going to talk about that very thing coming up next me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges, but how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. Truth be told, Lars has welcomed naysayers for 27 years, but occasionally... Who is this person who speaks to me as though I needed his advice? This is the Lars Larson Show. We have a secure border and that that is a priority for any nation, including ours and our administration. That is Vice President Kamala Harris, and you might remember that just a few months into Joe Biden's torturous stay at the White House, that Kamala Harris was named by Joe Biden as the border czar, and then she steadfastly avoided even going to the border to see it with her own eyes. And she's done absolutely nothing about the problem at America's southern border. And now it's become a crisis. Actually, I think it was a crisis within months of Joe Biden arriving. And I'd give you the numbers to actually prove that. But to have Vice President Kamala Harris saying we have a secure border because you have to have a secure border. It's a bit like the soundbite I played you a couple of days ago where Joe Biden, about 15 years ago, was at a town hall meeting back when he was a senator, and he told people, you can't have an actual country on planet Earth unless you have secure borders. And that if he were put in charge, remember, this was back when he was in the Senate, just beginning his Biden crime family operations that have made him so many millions of dollars in dealing with foreign countries, but he said, you have to make sure, and if I were put in charge, I'd make the Border Patrol much bigger. I'd lock down that border tight. Except that's not what he did. The very first things he did when he took office a little bit over three years ago, among other things, he signed executive orders to revoke most of what Donald Trump had done, the stay in Mexico policy for people seeking asylum or refugee status, and Title 42, all of those things Joe Biden reversed with executive orders. 
And then he puts Kamala Harris, who I think Joe Biden knew that Kamala Harris was not exactly the sharpest tool in the shed and that she wasn't going to get anything done. In fact, I think the reason he did what he did is he said, oh, I don't want to solve this problem. I actually want to throw the border wide open. And if you say, Lars, it's not fair to say that about Joe Biden, it is most certainly fair because all the way through the campaign in 2019 and 2020, Joe Biden told people that he was going to open up the border. He was going to let people, anybody who wanted to come into America could come in. And none of us, none of us could have imagined. I mean, if I told you in the summer of 2020, six months before the election, if I had forecast folks, by the time we get a couple of years into Joe Biden in office, we're going to have 300,000 people a month. We're going to have 10,000 people a day coming across the border. You would have told me that I was absolutely crazy. Well, guess what? It's not crazy. It's reality right now. We now have about 10,000 people a day coming illegally into America, most of them over our southern border. And finally, the Republicans appear to have grown a backbone. They have now introduced the articles of impeachment to impeach Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. And I thought that while there are some things that I don't necessarily agree with, with Marjorie Taylor Greene, I thought she really summed it up well. Because there are two possible avenues, and I want to let her lay it out the way she did in Congress the other day. Take a listen to what she's saying to members of the Biden administration, that they have a choice. Either admit this is your conscious policy or admit that Mayorkas is breaking the law. If you admit it's your policy, you've all got to own it. If you say that Mayorkas is breaking the law, then he richly deserves to be impeached by the United States Congress. Listen to this. You have to tell the American people these are the policies and this is the results that you bring to America. Or you can admit that Secretary Mayorkas has broken federal law and he is the one to blame for all of this horror, crime, death, murder, and over 1.8 million gotaways in our country. Democrats get to choose. And you're also in an election year. So are you going to be telling your constituents and your voters that these are the policies and these are the results that you're running for re-election on? Time is I hope not. I hope not, too. But I think that's exactly what it is. I mean, if Joe Biden disagreed with the policies of his Homeland Security Secretary, he's got two clear choices, or whoever it is that's calling the shots for Joe Biden, because an awful lot of us suspect, uh, some of us know, that it's not Joe Biden running the country. It's actually Barack Obama communicating to Obama through to uh, to Biden, uh, through Obama's old staff members, most of whom are now working at the White House and working for Joe Biden. They're calling the shots. Joe gets ice cream every afternoon. But then when you go to the White House briefing room and you find this $200,000 a year affirmative action hire in Corinne Jean-Pierre, and who does she blame for the mess on America's border? Listen to this. For years, they have refused to heed the president's request for action on much-needed funding for border security. Now, let me tell you why I know that's a lie. Donald Trump was not given anything extra to secure America's border during his four years in office. That's a fact. You know that the Congress said, we're not going to give you anything. So what happened? He used the resources he had at his fingertips 
And he said, I'm going to use the resources I already have. And during his four years, we brought about, he brought about the lowest level of illegal entry to the United States in modern American history with the resources he had. Joe Biden has those same resources available to him. And what has he done? He's done exactly the opposite to the point where we've had 10 million illegal aliens, 8.5 million of them directly encountered by Customs and Border Protection, 1.8 million gotaways, and God knows how many other people who weren't encountered by the Border Patrol or were gotaways but simply got in without the Border Patrol even realizing they were here, but north of 10 million people. So now they want to impeach Mayorkas, and they should. They should have done it a long time ago. And what are the Democrats saying about this? Well, they got to stand up for Mayorkas. They've got to say, no, everything he's doing is right. Listen to Democrat member of Congress Hakeem Jeffries talking about the prospect of impeaching Mayorkas. Extreme agro Republicans are taking an alleged policy dispute and using that to justify a partisan political stunt in trying to impeach Secretary Mayorkas. No reasonable person in the United States of America believes that Secretary Mayorkas is flouting the law and intentionally allowing people to stream into this country and or traffic fentanyl. Now that's Democrat member of Congress Hakeem Jeffries. I mean, he's one of the most prominent Democrats out there and he's saying, no reasonable person would say he's doing this on purpose. Really? If that's the case, why is it that when Texas put up razor wire on the border and at least impeded some of the illegals from coming in, that one of the first things the Biden administration did was they said, well, we'll go to the Supreme Court and we'll get permission to cut that wire and let the illegals in. If it's if they're not doing it on purpose, why did they get the Supreme Court to sign off on cutting the razor wire? Now listen to this. It is my testimony that the border is secure. The president has worked very hard to implement a strategy when it comes to the border that is humane, safe, and, and has orderly enforcement. Things are going at the border, sir. Much better, than, much, much better than you all expected. <laughs> ha, ha, ha. This is Joe Biden laughing at a problem that is crippling big American cities. This is Joe Biden laughing at a problem that involves criminal illegal aliens coming into our country, trafficking children, bringing fentanyl, and wrecking American cities. And what does silly Joe do? He laughs. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. The Lars Larson Show. Go to the head of the line at the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'll get back to your phone calls shortly at 866-HEY-LARS. And if you're a naysayer, we always put naysayers straight to the head of the line. We have for a quarter century, always will, at 866-439-5277. You can send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. You can vote in our daily X poll. You'll find that on X, formerly Twitter, at Lars Larson Show, and on our website website at LarsLarson.com. I saw a post on Instagram the other day, and I thought, I've got to talk to this guy, Dr. Austin Lake. He's a physiotherapist, 
uh, postdoctoral board certification in functional medicine and creator of the Active Life Program. Dr. Lake, welcome to the program for the first time. How are you? Not too bad. Thanks for having me. You know, when I saw that, what struck me most, uh, I'm a Christian, so I've got a dog in the fight, uh, and you're a Christian as well. Is it possible to be a Christian and live by your faith and actually be a medical doctor in America these days? Well, you know, I, I can't necessarily speak for, for everybody, but um, for me, it was it was hard not to um, see the connection between between a creator and, and science. And I've always said that I think that we use science in an attempt to try to explain how God is operating. And I, I think so often we want to have this reductionist mentality where we try to reduce it down to the to the single atom and, and molecule, but really we can't ever fully account for the consciousness, you know, aspect of what it means to be alive on this on this earth. And so for me it was very difficult to separate the two. And occasionally that comes up in your interactions between you and patients. Would you mind describing some of that? Yeah, I mean, so, um, you know, a more recent incident that I have was just, I, I made a post just talking about how I feel like, you know, God created our bodies and, and he wants us to use our bodies to honor um, honor him, essentially, and to glorify him, and, and that our bodies are temples for the Holy Spirit. And I'm not a pastor, and so I can't fully speak on the depths of all what that means. But I do know that the, that the Bible talks a lot about how it's important to to care for our bodies. And so I put out a post about that, and I already had an existing client that I was working with, and she had, you know, she follows me on social media, and she, she read my post, and she did not particularly feel, um, well, she said she felt unsafe by that comment. And so um, it, it kind of led to her separating from me, and 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 it was it's okay because you know I want to I want to speak what I feel is true, and I, I can't separate those those two conversations. How did she go on? And I understand you're not violating HIPAA. You're just telling us a patient said something. But how is it? Did she expand on how it made her feel unsafe to have this doctor who believes in 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 God? I think for her, you know, she even claims to be uh, a Christian, and so it wasn't necessarily, and, and those are her claims, but I think I have some, some opinions on that, but um, uh, for her, it was, she didn't want to feel pressured to live up to a particular standard, and um, wanted to basically kind of do what she felt was right and find her own truth, and so um, she felt that because of my belief and what I what I felt um, about that particular scripture and about her bodies, honestly, um, she felt that she could no longer trust my opinion. I'd like to know, you know, and, and that, that seems kind of strange to me, but then if she wants to find her own truth, say, well, I can figure all this out on my own. Uh, there are plenty of people out there who believe that. I don't happen to believe that. I think I know where I get my truth, and that's from the book. And I know that's true, mm -hmm. and everything else is suspect. You know, in God we trust, sure. and everybody else needs picture ID or, or words to that effect. <laughs> but but tell me this, I mean, because the last few years have have really shaken a lot of Americans' faith in medicine because we feel like we've been lied to we've been deceived i'll tell you personally because i've told my audience before i didn't take the mrna jab and the more i learn yeah. about it the more i'm i'm happy with that decision and don't regret it Absolutely. and i feel like in fact there's just a new actually a formal study out from the british medical journal uh... published by a couple of guys ones from yale which is leaves me a little suspect but but he says you know they created <laughs> chaos because the medical system basically lied to people deceived people and held back information um, and I'm wondering what your take is on that as we go forward with a lot of, of people, probably worldwide, but it's certainly here in the United States, who don't trust medicine very much because of that experience. Yeah, and, and honestly, um, from my perspective, I think that's, that's a good thing um, to a certain extent. Uh, we, I think we have to appreciate the medical system for what it's good at. And it, uh, the medical system is great at emergency, medi um, emergency medication, emergency management, 
Um, you get in a car accident, they'll save your life. Amazing at surgeries, and we're probably we're the most developed nation in the world on healthcare. But when it comes to uh, chronic disease management, we're actually ranked, I think, somewhere in the 30s, like 32nd, as far as our quality of care. And so you can start to see that this is a very um, uh, money-driven system, and and we're good at some things, but we're not good at everything. And so I do think it's good for people to question um, more. And science, this is where it really triggered me specifically during COVID was um, when all this was happening, you know, March of 2020, and people were saying, I trust the science, but yet, you know, we weren't allowed to ask questions. And that's exactly what science is. It's like you, you got to question things, got to put out a hypothesis and test it to make sure it holds, it holds steadfast. And it was just so ironic to me that we were not allowed to question things and we had to just go with this narrative that everything was safe and it was all, you know, going to work out in your favor and just get the, get the jab and you'll be safe and protected. And as we've seen with the literature, that just hasn't been shown to be true. And so I think it is good for people to question their doctors. And if, if they're a good provider, um, they should be able to um, withstand the questioning. And if they don't know the answer, then they, we need to go and dig a little bit deeper for ourselves and figure out what the answer is. But but they don't like to do that, do they, in medicine? Because, I mean, there are all those jokes about how, you know, that <laughs> because because doctor, you know, God doesn't think he's a doctor, you know, but doctors think they're God. And that when you ask them a question, well, if I give you the answer, it's the only answer available. You should just take it and accept it, right? And, and that's, that's, again, this is where, this is my opinion on the matter. Um, but if you look at, if you go back about a hundred years, you start seeing what happened to our, 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 our medical system. Really what happened was a huge push from the Flexner report, which was primarily funded by some people that are, you can look them up and they're you know, Rockefellers and people like that. And, and what you started to notice was there was a huge push for use of petroleum products because that benefited that family and, and it was really starting to influence medicine because they're realizing they can synthesize um, certain things to make compounds to actually make pharmaceuticals. And so when you had that push, they started to change then the curriculum from the top down so that, you know, anything that was not based in pharmace- uh, pharmacia, it was considered quackery. And they started to push that, that, that mindset so that doctors who were being trained in that and, you know, they were, they were pushing this idea that if, if I don't know it, then nobody else does. And that's a really dangerous position to be in from my perspective because you start thinking you are God and that's, that's just never the case. Hey, speaking of that, I'm talking to Dr. Austin Lake. In fact, uh, uh, Dr. Lake, where's the best place for people to find you? Because they're going to hear this and want to know. And and we're planning to have you back, but our time is short today. But where can they best find you? Yeah, they can find me on social media, just uh, Dr. Austin Lake. Um, You can also go to theactivelifeprogram.com, and you can find my webpage there. Um, But that's probably the best place to find me. Okay, and the other thing about playing God. We've now got doctors who are making literally billions of dollars last year and more billions this year by saying, why, we can change you from a boy to a girl and a girl to a boy. And not adults, but children. I want your take on that, if you don't mind. Uh, as a father of three kids, um, young little kids, I, I, would, I don't trust them to um, do a lot of things. And like I tell my wife all the time, like, we have really smart children. Um, but they, they're still children. They're not wise. They're not adults. They don't have the capacity to fully make informed decisions that will affect their, the rest of their life. So I think what, what a lot of the agenda is pushing now is leaving up the children to decide and let them, you know, decide who they are. And I just think that's ridiculous. And then for any kind of medical professional to then perform, whether it's a hormonal, um, operation or uh, hormonal based uh, therapy or operation, um, I really, I just don't know how we've gotten to that point in our society where that's um, even acceptable or even being discussed. So that, that would be my opinion on it. Well, we've certainly talked about it on this show because I've asked 
How can you get truly informed consent? I mean, informed consent has been a question for a long time. Can somebody who's on sure. narcotics give you informed consent? Can somebody who's 13 years old and says, I want to be a boy or I want to be a girl, can they give you informed consent at that age? And I kind of wonder what the medical malpractice people are going to say about that. Dr. Lake, it's a pleasure. We'll have you back. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. That is Dr. Austin Lake, and we'll put the contact information up at our website. But I just thought it'd be interesting to call him up and talk to him. He seems like a, a, a cut from a different piece of cloth than most of medical professionals these days. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. Exercising the right to free speech every day. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm always glad to get to your phone calls and your emails. I want to say something about electric buses, because I saw this story just this week from here in the Pacific Northwest, which is the region we serve with our Radio Northwest Network. And it was about the fact that the city of Salem, they run a public transit system called chariots. But you can apply this logic to just about any transit system, no matter how big or small. It's become very fashionable to buy to buy electric buses, and usually they're bought with federal money. So in this case, uh, chariots, the system in Salem, Oregon. Uh, gets uh, 12 or 10 buses that they bought for $1.28 million plus another almost $2 million from the transit system. So the total cost is just shy of $15 million to buy 10 buses. Now, I would imagine they have some spare parts in that and chargers and things like that. But this matches with everything I've ever learned in the last 10 years about what's going to happen with electric buses. They are a tremendous losing idea. And I'll give you the example because when I looked at the electric buses being bought by TriMet, the failing transit agency that really does not serve the Portland Metro, and I'm sure it's no different than Seattle's Metro transit system, when you buy an electric bus, it costs twice as much as a diesel-powered bus. And you say, yeah, but they make it up because they get to run on uh, rainbows and unicorn horns. And you say, no, they run on electricity. And you say, what is the net difference at the end of the year between buying diesel or buying the electricity? And the answer is, not very much. In fact, the last time we took a deep dive into that, 
it worked out that those buses would pay for themselves in fuel savings in about 250 years. Well, that's a problem as far as I'm concerned. But the problem gets worse when you find out that the average lifespan of those buses is about 12 years, which means you're never going to get them to pay for themselves through savings on fuel versus electricity. And then you find out, well, how long does the average diesel-powered bus last? You say, 16 years. And I ask people, if somebody tried to talk you into buying a car, and they said it gets really great mileage, no matter what it runs on, and you say, well, how soon, but it's going to cost more, uh, how soon will I find the savings to save me back the money that I would have spent on a gasoline or diesel car? And they say, you never will. In fact, you'll be upside down the entire life of the vehicle, and the vehicle will only last 75% as long as the gasoline or diesel-powered vehicle. Nobody in the world would buy that. But that's exactly what Salem is doing right now. We're going to challenge them to come on the show and answer those questions. I'm, I don't hold great hope that they're going to be willing to do it. Usually they tell me no. Let me go first to Jason. Hey, Jason, welcome to the Radio Northwest Network. What's on your mind? Hey, Lars, great show today. Uh, Thank you. Uh, they, should really, they need to drain the swamp, you know. They need to drain the swamp and flood the Rio Grande. The, <laughs> the cartels, they should, be, they should be classified as a terrorist element, like a military element. And fentanyl should be, should be classified as a, as a weapon. It's, it's a bioweapon. It's a, it's, a, it's a weapon of genocide. But what it's doing is killing 300, 400 people a day in this country on this soil. Yep. I mean, Biden, Biden slurred the other day that, the drugs are coming up from the southwest. I mean, he—they're—they're they're complicit. They know where it's coming from. I mean, it's coming right up the I-5 corridor. They—they know—they know exactly where it's coming from. Measure Measure 110 is Measure 110 and January 6th. They're almost—they're almost identical. They, they want to blame—they want to blame—they want to blame the American citizen for something that they're complicit with. Yep. And I don't think it's fair. No, I don't think it's right either. But, Jason, what has to happen is people have to put pressure on lawmakers. Or they have to tell me, you don't care that your son, your daughter, your grandson, your daughter, your wife, or your husband may be dead by the end of this year. Because we know the estimates are they'll kill about 1,300 people in the state of Oregon in the next 12 months with fentanyl. And you say, we know that for a fact. We just don't know the names of those 1,300 people. In Washington State, about twice that number. And then you have to ask your Democrat lawmakers, because they're the ones who are opposing any kind of fix for this problem. And there is a fix. There was a fix that worked for decades. And what it called for was saying, if we catch you with drugs, it's a felony conviction, or you can go into treatment. And that worked for about 95% of all addicts. The Democrats have decided they don't want to do that because they get a lot of money from the Drug Policy Alliance and other allied groups. And they said, if we throw Measure 110 out, those people aren't going to like us very well. And they're probably right about that. Let's go to James. Hey, James, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. What's on your mind? How's it going, Lars? Very well, sir. What's up? Um, talking about the felon school system here in this country. Yeah. I have a daughter that they keep canceling school because of weather, COVID, and shut it down. Now they don't want to go to school. Yep. So as a single dad, what's my options? The options are vote for, I mean, get school choice available. It's now available in a bunch of states that have changed. Arizona's one of them. It's worked out very well. 
They have tens of thousands of parents signing up for it. And it will do two things, James. Number one, you as a parent can say, well, if I can take some of the money that are attached, uh, the monies that are attached to my son or daughter and move him or her to a private school, a parochial school, a charter school, an online school, some other school that works for my kid, you're going to do that. Even if you don't do that, the minute the public schools, so-called public, they're government-run schools, the minute they see the threat of losing their moneymaker, which is all those kids, they will start to reform. Or they'll go out of business. One or the other, either one is fine with me. But you've got to pressure your state lawmakers. Give us school choice because our kids don't deserve the failure that government schools are delivering right now. With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. Ladies and gentlemen, you ready for the big show? In exactly 15 seconds, we'll be on the air. Lars. This is the Lars Larson Show. Our beloved republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. Honestly provocative talk with Lars Larson. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. Broadcasting across the Pacific Northwest and covering Oregon, Washington, and Idaho on the Radio Northwest Network. Lars. No. Then we're going to kick the Biden crime family out of the White House. Here's your host. I almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette, and my cat. Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you on a Wednesday. Welcome to the Radio Northwest Network, serving the Pacific Northwest states of Oregon, Washington, and Idaho for the past quarter of a century. And then some, we're glad to have you with me. Now, I want to tell you something. One of the subjects that I've had come up over basically the last 30 years or so is the subject of free school lunches. And I think I've explained my position on it, but I get concerned when I hear that there are state lawmakers, and in this case it's Washington State, where they're proposing, why don't we just put all of the kids on the free school lunch program because it's embarrassing to the poor kids that they're getting the free lunch and other kids are not. I think that's bad logic. I think it also says to parents, you're not really responsible for feeding your kids. You might feed them dinner, but we feed them breakfast and lunch, and then we feed them a lot of indoctrination nonsense about sex, about uh, politics, about other things. And I just think they're trying more and more to suggest to parents and to the kids, you get what you eat from the government. You get your values from the government. You get your indoctrination from the government. And maybe someday you'll have one of those guaranteed income checks while you'll get your very income from the government. And I consider that very, very unhealthy. And I'll bet Lee Finna does as well. She is director of the Center for Education at Washington Policy. Lee, welcome to the program again. 
Well, thanks so much, Lars. This is a very worrisome bill that the Washington State Legislature is considering to weaken the family. That's basically it's an effort to weaken the family structure by displacing parents as the providers of food and nourishment to their children. I would I think so parents would. You. I would think parents would resent House Bill two zero five eight, House Bill twenty fifty eight, and. Uh, uh, and in fact, you might talk about the main sponsors of it, too, because a lot of people who listen have written to me and said, we want to know the people responsible for this nonsense. So uh, if we can get that, we'll we'll either put it up today or, or later this week. But what is it exactly they're proposing in HB 2058? Well, exactly what you said. They're going to put every child in the state of Washington, whether or not their families need it, they're going to put every child on food welfare and make them dependent on the state for their food, which is an attempt to draw these people are not good people they they cloak themselves in this language of a we're going to care and nurture your children but make no mistake they're trying to drive a wedge between between the, the state is trying to drive a wedge between parents and their children they're trying to weaken the family and it's a dangerous uh like you say uh effort to use food as a wedge as a as a uh, lever of control because, of course, food, you know, children from the very first days of their lives learn that parents are the provider of food, love, and nourishment. And this bill attempts to, to shift the student's attention to the state and to become dependent on the state. And, uh, you know, I, all the while saying that it is about caring and inclusion and all, all that language, that devious language they use to increase control over the family. Well, and the, the reason I said I think parents would resent that is they would say, hold on a second, are you suggesting I'm not capable of, of feeding my children? Because I, I would think that most parents would think of that as an indictment of them as parents, saying, you don't even feed your kids. You know, you're not much of a parent. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and I understand I'm going to hear the argument from people, well, there are folks out there who can't afford to do it. And I, you know, I had a producer who said that it was a young lady uh, years ago. And I said, will you introduce me to the person who's working hard? and can't feed his or her kids. And uh, she said, well, th there probably are some. I said, here's what I'd like to know. Do they play the lottery? Do they have cable TV? Do they have a nice cell phone, you know, the $1,000 kind, or just the basic model from Walmart? Um, do they uh, go stop at Starbucks or Dutch Bros for a coffee now and then? And she said, well, what does that have to do with it? I said, because then what you're telling them is, you can spend all that money on all the other things, getting your nails done, getting your hair done, buying a nice cell phone, subscribing to cable, playing the lottery, drinking beer, because all of that comes before feeding your kids. That's yeah. That, to me, is an indictment. If you say, well, I got money to stop at, uh, at Dutch Bros and get a mocha for $5, but I don't have the $5 to feed my kid breakfast every day. I so agree with you. This is insulting to parents. It it tells parents they don't have to feed their children, which is wrong. It's a wrong message. We, and parents are in the best position to protect their children and should be encouraged to do so. And this this works against that. I mean, think about the children that have uh, life-threatening food allergies. Imagine what that does to those parents who now have to worry that their child will be eating food that could cause them an anaphylactic shock, for example, that's, that's, 
You see what you mean, like the young lady dancer uh, uh, just earlier this week that we found out died because she got she she bought I think it was ice cream and it had nuts in it and she didn't know it and she died. But let me ask you this: the people who are pushing this nonsense, since I don't have much hope of getting them on to ask them a few polite questions about why they want to do this, what's the argument they're using for taking well-heeled parents in in all parts of Washington State and say, "Don't feed your kids." We'll take care of it for you. What's the argument they're using? They, they just say, oh, we, we love your children. We care about nutrition. And uh, your children are going to get good nutrition at the schools, which itself is not true. Okay, Because you know a lot of that food is institutionally prepared food for large uh, numbers of people and warmed over metal vats. You remember being in school. seeing <laughs> I, the, I do. The, I mean, at the, the risk of insulting the lunch lady, it's... Uh, you know, look, well, it's anytime you're going to cook for 300, it's not going to be like a home-cooked meal, is it? Exactly. And there are studies that show a correlation between children uh, who are obese and they're eating a school cafeteria food as compared to children that are eating individual meals prepared by their parents. There's a lower incidence of obesity in, in uh, brown bag, children who eat brown bag lunches from home. And so if the state really cares about the welfare and the nutrition of children, they would encourage parents to feed their own children. If they need uh, assistance, there's all kinds of ways to give them assistance, but they should be doing the job. The schools are there to educate the children. That's another important point here. We should not be running free uh, restaurants at schools. The, they are behind in the teaching, learning how to read and how to do math, and they should be focusing on their central mission, not not starting opening new, bigger cafeterias with the whole bureaucracy that goes with it. The cost, the waste is enormous. You should hear the stories I hear about the food being thrown out uh, in the public schools. Anyway, it's such a bad idea. And by the way, how much is this going to cost? Do they even have an estimate? Well, I they have not posted a fiscal note with this bill, which tells you everything you need to know. <laughs> <laughs> that means if, if 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 it's too expensive to show you the actual price, then taxpayers can't afford it. Leave. Thanks for what you do at the Center for Education at Washington Policy. That's Leave Finna. The House bill is twenty fifty eight. It is, of course, introduced and supported by Democrats because the Democrats would like to tell parents. You don't feed your kids. The government feeds your kids. You don't care. You don't educate your kids about values. The government tells them what values to have. You don't tell your kids what gender they are. We will decide what gender they are. And if you like that idea, I'd be glad to get the naysayer call at 866-HEY-LARS. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. 
Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com. View the videos and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. Broadcasting the sound of freedom. Here's Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. Brand new study out suggests that an awful lot of Americans were right. If you suspected during the pandemic that you weren't being communicated to by the federal government, by the state government, or by the local government, that you were absolutely right. And where do I get the proof of that? There's a brand new study out. It comes from Duke University. A couple of professors, Gavin Yamney and Drexel University professor Anna Rue, who say the pandemic failures began at the top with poor communication from the federal government that demonstrated a surprising inability to generate reliable information, no kidding, communicate it in a timely and consistent manner, and then translate it into sound policy. I love the quotes. This study was actually published this week in the British Medical Journal. It blames the U.S.'s division of state and federal government, what they, they said, meant that Americans' experience with the pandemic depended on what zip code you lived in. Actually, I like our federal system of government, the one where the federal government has certain enumerated powers, which they're always going outside of, and then all of the rest of the authority goes to the states and to individual citizens. But still in all, this is amazing. In fact, one of the reviews of this study said poor communication and a refusal to adapt to evolving scientific evidence you know, that, that, you've got to do that. Led to unnecessary school closures, the restriction of outdoor activity during the COVID outbreak, contributing to what the study called pandemic chaos that plagued the country for more than two years. Brand new study out. I thought it was fascinating. To your calls now at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And now too many schools around America have decided we shouldn't just give school lunches to the poor kids, the ones that are on public assistance or in families are on public assistance. Why, we should just feed all of the kids breakfast and lunch so that the government will provide your values, your gender ideology. They'll provide your education and indoctrination, and they'll feed you breakfast and lunch. And where are parents in all this? I think parents are getting cut out of the equation by the actions of these governments that have decided to do that. John, welcome to the program. I take it that's what you called in about. Yes, sir. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, I can. What do you think of the idea of the schools, the government-run schools, telling your kids, you don't get breakfast and lunch from mom and dad, you get it from the government? Well, I'm in the school district system for lunches, and I'll let you know in Washington State, at least in our district, they not only have breakfast and lunch, they also provide dinner, uh, child care for the ones that have babies, and uh, they said they have dinner. And then uh, in the last year, they've been changing the menu to where the menu is now, instead of actual protein, they're giving them beans, cabanzo beans or soybeans and rice. That's their protein. It keeps shifting away from what you would call a traditional meal and more towards the vegan lifestyle. And so, in other words, it's one more opportunity for them to indoctrinate your kids. Exactly correct. And it's and it's three three meals a day, and uh, 
even even before COVID, but COVID just really pushed it on out to where, oh, well, we have to feed the poor children no matter what. I got to ask you, it doesn't sound like you're okay. I, you know I'm not okay with that, but what do you what do you think of that? Should parents push back? I think it's a ridiculous idea. I think parents should push back and not only ask, what did you learn in school today? What did you eat? And was it something that you wanted? Because they're, they're pushing this out, and they can't keep up with the meals now, and the administrators that are in charge of the system right now weren't even in the system 10 years ago, and now they're in charge, and they have, they have no touch of reality of what it takes for a kid to eat or what's healthy for a kid to eat. So the kids are taking and they're eating what they want, and they're throwing everything else away. The schools I'm working at, the kids are throwing away 50% of the food that they were served, and they're being pushed out, meals that they won't eat, and the, the local schools are being told, you will serve that. And the only thing we can think of is that they're serving it because they're using that as their count. Yeah, we, we served 50 healthy meals today. Well, no, you didn't. You threw away 45 healthy meals today. Yep. But they're getting, because, they're because getting money John, because they, quote, unquote, served them. John, I don't know about you, but when I grew up, and I would imagine we do this with my granddaughter, we say, you're going to finish that salad. The salad's good. It's not huge. And, and we'd like you to finish the salad along with everything else on your plate. And my granddaughter has already been introduced to the concept I knew as a kid, which was when you get old enough to put the food on your plate, take all you want, eat all you take. So there was no waste because my parents would say, you decided to pile that plate up with spaghetti, you finish it. And what you figured out as a kid was you'd say, you can go back for seconds or thirds or fourths or whatever you want, but if you decide to pile a plate full of something because it looked really good when you were dishing it up or you were playing games when you were dishing it up, you're going to end up eating that. So you learn to you know finish your plate, clean your plate, eat all the basic food groups, which parents will insist on. And it sounds like the schools say, we're going to slop it on your plate. And then if you decide to throw away half of it, maybe the healthy half, maybe the unhealthy half, um, then that's okay. That's that's learning bad eating habits, isn't it? Yeah, and Lars, if there's one more thing I think everybody can relate to, when there's a pool vehicle, if there's anything that people get for free and they don't pay for it, they don't respect it. And so that, that's what's happening here as well. The kids just don't respect it at all, and they don't respect the servers, and they don't respect the teachers because everything just comes to them for free with no no consequence at all. So you're you're right, and, and, and John, and it's, not, and it's not just poor families; it's rich families that know that they're just gaming the system, and they're 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 not, you know, they're they're, they're not paying off their lunch bills because they know the school's going to feed them anyway. You know, it's funny, John. I I read this story, and I've I've referenced it, but it's probably been ten years since I did. But I read this story um, years ago, and it was about a guy who ran a small manufacturing plant. I think he was in the Midwest. And he tried to be just the best boss you could ever have. He paid his employees well. Uh, he, he built a swimming pool next to the plant because apparently it was, it was a tough physical job, and it was hot in the plant. And he said, you know, when, when there's time for a break, he held barbecues for his employees. He did a lot of things like that. And then one day... And this this will tell you how long ago this was. Remember the soda machines where you'd put in the money and a cup would drop down and then the soda would oh, yeah. be squirted? Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so he had a couple of these put in in the plant. And he's walking around the plant one day and uh, with his plant manager. And he looks in the garbage can and there's a whole garbage can full of cups that are half full of soda pop. And he looked at that. Now, he was nice to his employees, but he hated waste. 
And he said to his plant manager, tell you what, go out and all the machines where you could press a button, get whatever soda you wanted. But you hadn't paid anything for it. You didn't really think of it as yours, just to your point a moment ago. And, and so the employees would fill a cup of soda and then get busy and they'd just throw it away. So he said, put a nickel, make it a nickel for a cup of soda, which even then was a, a good deal. And uh, you know what happened to all the waste? It went away. Because even no. if you're only paying, even today, uh, today the nickel is really inconsequential, but even then it wasn't much. And his employees all put a nickel in, got a cup of soda, and they drank it. And they didn't waste much of it uh, because they had paid something for it. And I think you're absolutely right to that point that, you know, if you tell the kids, hey, you're getting the food for free, anything you get for free in your mind has a value of exactly zero. And, John, I think you're absolutely right about this. This nonsense of feeding kids breakfast, lunch, and now sometimes even dinner, it is absolutely un-American. It is indoctrinating your kids. It's bad for America, and it needs to stop. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. The Lars Larson Show. Because you like what you hear, right, Lars Larson? Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm glad to get to your phone calls and emails. I remember in 2008 when a lot of us expressed frustration and fear that we were about to elect a president in Barack Obama who was way too cozy with convicted terrorists like William Ayers and uh, Bernadine Dorn and people like that. And then we said, as president, he was way too friendly with the mad mullahs of Tehran and, uh, and other Muslim groups around the world. And now, now we've got real trouble in the Middle East. We have American service members murdered in terrorist attacks. We have American shipping under fire. We even have American military ships under fire. And then we have a slaughter in Israel on October the 7th. More than a thousand people dying, including Americans. People taken hostage, including Americans. And who funded all of this? Well, turns out that Joe Biden gave over a billion dollars in so-called aid to so-called Palestine. And the guy who knows the numbers best is Adam Andrzejewski, uh, the CEO and founder of OpenTheBooks.com. How you doing, Adam? Well, thanks for having me on, Lars. It's great to be back. Is it fair, and thank you for that, but is it fair to say that the Biden administration has shoveled a billion dollars into the hands of the so-called Palestinians? Yeah, Trump froze that aid for the first time in the 71 history of that Palestinian aid subsidy. It had been around since 1948. Trump put it on the table as a negotiating chip, and he found that the Palestinian Authority wasn't an honest broker in the peace process with Israel. Israel wanted peace, as they always do, and the Palestinian Authority, the Palestine Liberation Organization, Trump didn't feel that they were honest brokers. Uh, so he cut the subsidy. And they went crazy. They said they had an international right to U.S. taxpayer money, for example. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but here's what happened. In the two and a half, from August of 2018, for, since, and then Biden restarted that aid in April of 2021. So there's a two and a half year period there. Middle East didn't go up in flames. For, by the standards of the Middle East, Lars, it was relatively peaceful. It On was. the worst week, you had 400 rockets shot off from Gaza and the West Bank at Israel. Uh, but as soon as Biden uh, restarted that aid, 
Four weeks later, you had 4,000 rockets being shot at Israel. The only thing that our adversaries around the world understand is strength. Strength and money and power. And wasn't right. part of the problem with, with that Trump had with the funding that the PLO in particular, not Hamas, but the PLO, would literally tell the so-called Palestinians, the ones who live on the West Bank of the Jordan River, in what is still, by law, the state of Israel, that when one of them would go jihadi and put on a suicide vest or stab a bunch of people at a bus stop, that the Palestinian, uh, the PLO or the PLA would actually give a subsidy to their their surviving family saying you have a martyr uh he went out and martyred himself and now you get a pension for the rest of your life and a lot of it if not all of it paid for by american taxpayers correct so here's what's going on you know as you know lars i live in illinois it is the super bowl of corruption and we have a lot of pay for play amongst our politicians yes but you what do. you just described <laughs> is pay for slay it's murder for hire. It makes Illinois politicians look like a bunch of pikers. Incredibly, codified into Palestinian law is this concept of where they pay lifetime pensions to the family members of the dead terrorist. And so you've got 500 employees of the Palestinian Authority engaged in the pension department over there. It's 10% of the, of the Palestinian Authority's entire budget goes on these pensions to families of the dead terrorists. Um, and it's, it's codified into Palestinian law. So Trump saw that. He zeroed them out. And then Joe decided to reinvigorate it. So you've got U.S. taxpayer money going through the U.N. That's a lot of it right there, isn't it? Yeah, and now, and, and look, um, Obama... And President Biden, they should have known better. For a long period of time, there's been oversights and intelligence reports that this, this Palestinian aid flowing through this United Nations fund, it's called UNRWA for short, has been co-opted by Hamas, the Islamic Jihad, and other terrorist organizations. So there's new reporting this week from Israeli intelligence that caused the Biden administration finally to follow Trump's lead and freeze the aid. And here's what they found. They found that half, one out of every two, of the 12,000 U.N. employees in Gaza have close family members in a militant Islamic organization. And 10% of them, 10% of the employees themselves have very close ties to those organizations. Then they found 13 employees of the UN aid agency that actually participated in the organizing, and actually they were in the waves of Hamas as they flooded into Israel on the deadliest day since the Holocaust. There was actually two employees of the UN aid agency that kidnapped Israelis. All of this, and didn't they also supply some weapons as well? I recall reading about rocket-propelled grenades, RPGs, that were supplied by some of the members of UNRWA? Yeah, they were involved in the logistics, the planning, and, and also in terms of weapons procurement. And this goes back for years. So the, the United Nations was forced to acknowledge when their schools were inspected in 2014 at two of their schools, they actually found Hamas missiles being stored. Uh, the New Republic, which is a left-leaning publication, said yep. that this UN aid agency is effectively an arm and a branch of Hamas. So there was no secrets here. In March of 
2023, you had an organization that actually did a 100-page oversight report tying the UN aid organization directly to Hamas on a myriad of different things, including the teachings in the schools. At this UN aid agency schools in Gaza, they actually teach that it is an obligation of Muslims to try to kill and maim the Jewish people. Unbelievable. And by the way, where this gets into foreign policy, Trump managed to be very successful with three new peace deals that were negotiated. And they were negotiated by ignoring that gas bag John Kerry, who said, well, if you want any kind of peace deal, you have to involve the Palestinians. And Trump didn't think he needed them, and they weren't playing ball anyway, so he left them out and got three deals. All the previous presidents, both Republican and Democrat, who'd gone by that kind of rule. Well, the Palestinians always have to have their say in any peace process, got nothing done. And Trump comes in and says, hey, if they don't want to take part in this, they don't have to, but we'll go ahead without them. He's the guy who actually got the three deals. And now Joe, Joe Biden is on the verge of a war in the Middle East because of the policies he's been following. Exactly. And it gets a little worse, as it always does. There's new reporting as of yesterday from Fox News, and the State Department now admits this, uh, that since October 7th, there's been another $121 million of U.S. taxpayer money that has flowed into this U.N. Palestinian aid agency. So it's even worse. The Biden administration, even after the attack, they didn't pull funding. They ramped it up. And by the way, Adam, who paid for Hamas headquarters in Qatar, where the leadership of Hamas can safely sit and enjoy themselves? Well, I'm, I don't know the answer. I'm just going to guess. Okay. Is it you and I, Lars? It, it is. Uh, the United States <laughs> helped to subsidize their, their nice little headquarters in Qatar. And, and why the United States taxpayers should be paying the bill <laughs> for a terrorist organization whose leaders sit some distance away and simply direct the deadly activities of their foot soldiers on the ground, some of whom are also funded by the U.S. taxpayer. That's Adam Andrzejewski. You can find all of the dirt that he digs up. He puts it out there in front of God and everybody. You'll find it at OpenTheBooks.com. He is the CEO and founder of Open the Books, and his name is Adam Andrzejewski. Glad to be with you and always glad to take your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Vote in our poll on X. It's also on LarsLarson.com. And, of course, you can check out my Instagram feed. And, yes, you'll find out I have a face for radio. And you're listening to The Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com. 
view the videos, and then let the 1031 Exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. Simply by listening, you're proving how smart you really are. Lars thanks you. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show on this Wednesday and the Radio Northwest Network serving the region with honestly provocative talk on a daily basis. This segment of the show is brought to you by the home power generating folks at ProTech Power. Make sure your loved ones are safe when the power goes out. And as we know, over the last few weeks, the power does go out from time to time. Call 541-ONAGEN. That's 541-ONAGEN. Let's go to our first, well, second naysayer of the day. Daniel, welcome to the program. If you listen, you know how much we love naysayers. What do you and I disagree about that makes you a naysayer? Um, well, you might be able to clear it up pretty quick, but okay. with um, the food in the public school system, isn't that food already paid for by the taxpayers? No, because if they decide to go from lunch which most people kids pay a portion of the lunch and there's a, a a small subsidy for most kids and then for some kids that are thought to be low income because their parents are on public assistance they may get qualify for the free lunch program what this bill imagines doing and it's a it's an idiotic idea is that every single kid going to public school would get a quote free lunch paid for by the taxpayers. So you go from a lunch program that's partially paid for from the federal government to a program that serves breakfast, lunch, and often dinner as well at, at no direct cost to the student or the family, all costs paid for by the taxpayer. The difference is pretty gigantic. Okay, so as it stands right now, it's partially funded by the taxpayer and partially funded by parents. Yeah, by parents or the kids. The kids go to school and they say, Mom, I need lunch money, and it's a couple of bucks. And the actual cost of making the lunch is a little bit more than that. So there's some public subsidy in every single lunch. You've got a little bit of socialism going on. And what the Democrats in Washington want out of this bill they've introduced in the legislature is they want full-blown socialism where your child grows up understanding from school age five to 18 that breakfast, lunch, and dinner are not provided by mom and dad. They're provided by the government. Do you think that's a good idea? Um, I, I would have to say that that is not a good idea because, you know, kids should learn that their parents are, you know, the breadwinners, and they should be able to provide them with meals, obviously. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's great that, the school, in some senses, can um, provide those two kids that might need it, but uh, I don't know. You kind of uh, you kind of gave me a good gist of things there. So I well, I mean, that. here's the thing, Daniel. Anything that gets between parents and their kids, I'm against. I think parents have a right and a responsibility. So it's two sides of that. They have the right to guide their kids in in growing up. They also have a responsibility to do that. And when the government steps in and says, no, we'll do it for you, you get to encourage people to be lazy parents. I, I know that most of the parents I know are as hardworking as the day is long. But some of them would say, 
Yeah, if the government will provide my kids medical care, make decisions about uh, things like transgender, birth control, having sex and all that, fine, let the government do it. I think it's terrible for America, but thank you for the call. Let's go to Christopher. Hey, Christopher, welcome to the Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. Um, am I muted? No, you're not muted. You're on the radio. And if you're not ready, then we're going to move on. Christopher, what's on your mind? No. No, I'm ready. I I just had a question just about sure. funding for uh, education for students. My understanding is that there should be, the law is that there would be government funding for um, first through 12th grades. But does that, is it, does that necessarily mean, and your, your screener before said something about school choice, does that necessarily mean that the monies only go to government or public schools? Not at all. And in fact, in Oregon and Washington, uh, the majority of kids go to public schools. But in many states, you can, uh, you, you can choose to take the dollars that follow your child and take them to a parochial school, a religious school, a charter school, an online school, any of those. And Christopher, that actually matches up with most other programs. Do you know any people who are on food stamps? Uh, no, not right offhand. But you know about food stamps, right? Yeah, they don't have any government stores quite no. yet. Uh, and how about this? If you're, if an older member of your family is on Medicare, uh, when they go for medical care, do they have to go to a government hospital? Um, absolutely not. As a matter of right. fact, do you think it, would you think we'd all be better off if everybody who was on Medicare had to go to a government-run hospital, say one that was run? as efficiently as the VA. Oh, you're going to get me started on a rant. <laughs> Let's not do that. Save that for First Amendment Friday. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Thea. Hey, Thea, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. we got about a minute before the break. Hi. I'm just calling just to just to inform that some districts already have 100% being paid by the district or taxpayers because from what I worked at, I'm retired now, mm -hmm. but uh, just recently, uh, the district had all students were paid for. Is for that a good thing? And for lunch. Is oh, that a no. good thing? 100% no, no. <laughs> because they throw it away. Yep. I mean, if you look at the percentage of food that's thrown away, uh, it's probably 80% or higher. If but your grandson had lunch at your house today, would you let him throw his food away? Oh, no, because he'd eat what, what was made. Absolutely right. Thea, thanks for the call. You got the Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k flats. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com. View the videos 
and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at IRAAdvantage.com.